welcome to another episode of your friendly neighborhood film cast. I am your host, Jack, and with me is returning guest, the lovely Lydia. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be back. I am excited to have you back. And the movie we are discussing today is the 2019 adaptation of Little Women, directed by Greta Gerwig and described by IMDb as... Jo March reflects back and forth on her life, telling the beloved story of the March sisters, four young women each determined to live life on her own terms. Which is pretty basic. What is your background with this movie, Lydia? Because talking to you off mic, I think we have a similar background. I'm interested to see how that influenced how both of us felt about the movie, whether it be the same or different. Yes, I think we might be the only two women in like the Midwest who have never read this book or watched any of the adaptations. I came here not knowing anything. I didn't know any of the characters' names. I think I've never read this book. I think I tried to when I was nine and it was just too boring for me. You know, I just, I couldn't handle it. Okay. I apologize for my past self, but I just couldn't take it. But, um, My best friend and her sister love Little Women. So when I saw that it came out in theaters, I knew I had to give it a shot. See what all the fuss is about. Yeah, I am kind of in the same boat. I had the idea that the story was kind of outdated or it was boring because I'm not typically a huge fan of costume dramas. And this definitely falls within that category, even though it's more... Civil War-esque rather than earlier on, like Elizabethan or something, which some people think of when they think of costume dramas, but I'm just not particularly a fan of that subgenre. I mean, sometimes I like it. Like, I enjoyed uh, the Emma adaptation that came out last year with Anya Taylor-Joy, but I think it's because that was so pretty. It was just so pretty to look at. But uh, yeah, I really liked... Lady Bird, which was Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, and I was excited to hear that she was making another movie, but then when I heard it was Little Women, I remember at the time being like, ah, oh, damn it, like, kind of bummed because of, like, how is this movie going to be good? I just, and then I saw the trailer, which I think I saw it when I was going to see Knives Out, and, excuse me, immediately after seeing the trailer, I'm like, oh, I'll see that. That looks good. Yeah. You know, it it did come out around the same time, didn't it? It was Knives Out and Little Women. Mm -hmm. And I think that was around the same time that, like, the award show movies were being replayed at my local theater. So I also saw um, Parasite all in the same, like, month. It was a good month for movies. That sounds like a very good month for movies. I did kind of want to see this in theaters, and I just didn't get around to it. But I did finally get around to watching it right around this time last year. And uh, interesting enough, I watched it Easter weekend of 2020, and here we are, Easter weekend of 2021, recording this episode. You hit it right on the head. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So what are your overall thoughts on this movie? Spoiler free. Spoiler free. I really liked it. I felt so charmed by it. It's one of those movies where I left the theater and I thought, I'm going to romanticize my own life. Like, I can do anything. It's one of those. And even rewatching it yesterday, 
you know, in my house, not in a theater, I kind of got that same feeling afterwards. Like, oh, life has meaning. Things are beautiful. We can do anything that we want to. I'm so curious about how it relates to other adaptations and the book because I was doing a little research from this podcast and I get the impression that it's very different, mm-hmm. right? It's it's an outlier. Yeah. This one, this if the focus is Joe and her aspirations on becoming a writer. And I wonder if that's the same in all of these ways of telling this story. I don't know. But overall, I mean... What drew me to this movie, besides feeling an obligation to finally see something about it, was this cast. Like, what an excellent cast. Like, I forgot Timothy Chalamet. That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. I forgot that he was acting. You know, he felt like Lori. I was like, you're Lori now, forever. That, that's you. Meryl Streep was so good. Florence Pugh, I really like her. I've liked her since um, the cult movie. You know what Mid-Samar. I'm talking about. Midsommar. Yes. I loved the mm-hmm. first 20 minutes of that. I was like, okay, well, I've fallen in love with her as an actress and I want to see more. And I also really like Saoirse Ronan's stuff. Something about her really works with me. So I loved it. And this movie made me think a lot of atonement. Have you seen that? I've read the book, but I haven't seen the movie. But that is a yeah. movie I've been meaning to see for like over a decade now. It's good i thought of it because obviously in that movie slash book it's told from the perspective of a young girl who wants to be a writer writing about her own life telling her own story and what's funny is that i realized saoirse ronan plays the writer in that movie as well so there are some connections that make a little more sense than i thought but overall yeah i mean i loved it what did you think yeah, I really liked this too. I thought that the cast was very impressive and something that I did have an idea of going into this, which I thought was very interesting, was the reworking of the narrative structure. Having the story told in a non-linear fashion versus the way that it's told in the book in a linear fashion, I think really uh makes certain points of the movie or the story more poignant and it makes it more interesting to see all of these parallels and be jumping back and forth in time. I mean, that is what delighted me about this movie the most besides the acting. Like we have to talk about this because I feel like a lot of people and I'm generalizing here, but a lot of people who, who are familiar with this story didn't like this. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the impression I got too. Yeah. Loved it. I mean, I never was confused or mistaken at any point like there's the coloring I don't know the technical terms but it was like the present has the cool tones and the past has the warm tones which was really nice and something I especially love is that the first time change Greta Gerwig like puts however many years later it is but she doesn't do that later because she trusts us as the audience to be able to keep up which I really appreciate I do, too, that she doesn't have to hold our hand throughout it. Like, I trust that you know what's going on, so I'm just going to leave that in your hands. But yeah, and interesting that you said that you saw Florence Pugh in Midsommar, and then that made you want to see her in more stuff, because I actually saw her in this movie first, and this made me want to see her in more stuff. So that same night, I followed up Little Women with Midsommar because I had to see it after watching. What a weird night of movie watching. But I get it because 
when this movie, I don't want to say starts, but like chronologically when the story starts and they're younger, she's obviously like in her mid 20s, but she plays like a 13, 14, 15 year old annoying little sister really well. <laughs> I bought mm-hmm. it. And that that's talent. That takes talent for sure. I love that you were inspired the same way. Just exactly the opposite, you know? Our, our journeys were yeah. a little different, but we got there in the end. We're fans of hers now. So good. Something that I really liked about this movie, which I didn't expect, is that Joe's character arc really resonated with me. Like, kind of before when we talked about there's lots of different elements of coming-of-age stories that you can identify with, even if it wasn't your exact experience. I found it very interesting that someone's experience in the 1800s could still resonate with people today, and so I thought that was really cool that this movie, even though it technically takes place a long time ago, the themes are still very relevant today. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the relationship, the friendship between Joe and Laurie, and how it felt so modern. And I don't mean because they were male and female friends. I just mean their mannerisms and the way they interacted. It was almost like people today just wearing old-fashioned clothes. But act it, it just, the whole story feels very modern. It has this, like, there's this idea that teenage girls are unimportant. And the story looks at that. And it's like, how fucking dare you? We're the most important. And our stories deserve to be told. And that's obviously still relevant today. And you get that through this movie. And I wonder, going back to the narrative, if it would work as well if it was in chronological order. Because I I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked as well for me. And that almost makes you wonder, like, if that's why people have this idea of the story being kind of boring and old and stuffy because it's told in such a plain, linear fashion. And this one kind of spiced it up, like, we're going to drop you in the middle of the story, and then we're going to go forward and backward, if that kind of had something to do with making it feel more modern, because the linear, or the narrative is more modern. Yeah, it focuses the story on grown women rather than adolescents, because we start with Joe outside of the writer's office, and she's an adult. And so it's her story, it's not her, it's not child Joe's story. It's adult Joe's story. And again, from my impressions, it's the opposite in the book. Like, it's a ch- it's, it's written for children. But this feels not only more modern, but also somehow more grown up. Yeah, it has more of the vibe of someone as an adult reflecting on their youth and their adolescence. And that totally changes the structure of the story and how you feel about the story, I think. And also, it was nice to see girls be rowdy. I enjoyed that they like, I mean, I don't enjoy physical violence, but it was kind of refreshing to see them all like wrestling on the floor and like smacking each other and pulling each other's hair. That's something we don't see a lot in media is girls being able to be rowdy without them fighting over some guy or it being like a wet t-shirt contest or something. It was nice to just see good, pure rowdiness from girls especially in that era right like they Mm -hmm. were so comfortable in their own skin and that is so nice to see i okay i don't have any sisters i growing up i didn't necessarily want sisters but this movie made me wish i had three sisters or even just one Uh and i i 
there's something about the way families portrayed in this movie. They seem so close <laughs> and so loving. Even the really the downs and the ups, you know, they just they just seem like they're having fun and they love each other very much. And that's so nice. And Laura Dern is their mom. What a blessing. Meryl Streep is their aunt. They could not be set up better. <laughs> like what a life. Yeah, and then Bob Odenkirk shows up towards the latter half of the movie as the dad. What a surprise. Hello. <laughs> Such a moving few scenes, though, because we have what I guess would be the main twist happen right after that. And so we're taken from a low to a high to a really high to a really low. <laughs> so we're on an emotional roller coaster for a bit there. But that is such a nice scene. I really like his character because he's gone for the first half of the movie. But even when he's there in the scenes where he's there, he kind of feels absent. He's kind of quiet. He's not the center. He's not the focus. He disappears yeah. until he has a line. And the first time I watched this movie, I didn't know what I thought about that. But now I kind of like it because, it, again, it's the story of these girls. It's not his story. He's just there to support them, which is the opposite of what happens in a lot of these kinds of stories, right? Where it's the man's story. And the female members of the family are there to support him. So I thought that was nice. Yeah, it is really nice. And I apologize to listeners. I probably should have coded Bob Odenkirk's appearance as a spoiler in of itself. But (laughs) we're past that now. So I guess, do we just want to get into full-blown spoiler territory? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. I Immediately, I want to ask you your thoughts about Lori. Because I have some mixed feelings, and I couldn't get a vibe off the very brief research I did of how people in general think about him. Because he seems great, and his family clearly loves the marches. And again, Timothy Chalamet played him so well. But there are moments where he seems like a real jerk, and they aren't addressed at all. Like saying Meg looks bad in her new dress. That was so mean at a party in front of people. And at the end, when Friedrich comes, he has this moment where he's having the Civil War equivalent of a pissing contest. When he gets there, he's like, who is this guy? Someone tell me who this guy is and what he's doing here and talking to my friend Joe. You know, I don't know. But I also really like him. So what what did you think about Lori, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I think my thoughts, my thoughts are a little bit subjective because it's Timothy Chalamet playing him. And I really enjoy him as an actor, and this is the first time I have felt in my entire life that, like, if I were a few years younger, he's totally my type, so that's kind of weird. That's the first time I've ever experienced that. I love that. But, um... (laughs) And also, now, you know what I'm thinking? That John Mulaney bit where he's, like, he opens the stage, and he's like, so my wife is in love with this Timothy Chalamet son of a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Who isn't? Completely. Like, totally get it. Um, Yeah, he was a little bit hard to read because I think that you do expect him to be like this kind of snobby rich kid. And he is very generous with his wealth and uh, very welcoming to the March family. And he does have a lot of generosity and kindness, but he does kind of have those jerky moments. But at the same time, he is a young man. So it's it's kind of hard to 
read that exactly like everyone I mean Joe has her moments Amy has her moments everyone kind of has their moments in this movie that aren't necessarily the best reflective of their character overall but I think at the time that we first see Lori as an adult I think he's still kind of nursing the heartbreak of Joe turning him down so I'm almost wondering if that might play a little bit into it too that's a great point and I think maybe looking back I'm being a little too hard on him but also now that I'm thinking about it the man he lives with I can't remember if it's his uncle or his grandfather but I expected him to be a crotchety mean old man like Aunt May was and he's actually like the most loving person in the whole freaking movie so Mm -hmm. Like, what perfect neighbors? That's what you want growing up. You want your best friend to live right next door, and you can have a a little box where you have secret messages that go back and forth, and you go ice skating together. What a dream. I don't want to give more airtime to only the men in this movie, but then what did you think about Frederick? Because I liked him a lot. He's the only person who is willing to criticize Joe's writing besides the editor, and she needs that in an equal partner. I think that's why they work so well, theoretically. I'm glad that you brought this up because the first time I watched this, I did not like him at all. And I think it's because like feeling like I can relate to Joe in a lot of ways when he was criticizing her work, I felt like my work was being criticized. And so like I just took that really personally and I was like, how dare he? Good for her for sticking up for herself. Like, ditch that guy. He definitely and needs to work I, on his bad news delivery. <laughs> yeah, and I really did not like when he showed back up later, and then I felt almost absolute betrayal when it seemed like she was going to end up with him, which we can kind of get into that later on. But uh, then upon a rewatch, I still wasn't crazy about him. But his criticism seemed way less harsh than the first time I watched it. So I'm still not head over heels for him. But uh, he seems less like a jerk overall to me upon a second viewing. It is kind of that feeling like no one is good enough for Joe. We all wish that she wouldn't get married. And I guess, I mean, let's talk about the ending. She's, She's speaking with the editor right? She is Mm -hmm. changing the ending of the book she's giving, and that changes the ending of the movie. I'm really curious about how the actual book ends. Like, does Joe stay unmarried? Does this school actually happen? I don't know. I didn't look it up. (laughs) What did you think of all that? Yeah, I didn't look it up either. I probably should have, but for me, podcasting is just more fun than it is research, so... You know, I'm here to have a good time. Share your sources. (laughs) MLA citations. Yeah, exactly. I've done my time citing sources. I'm (laughs) done with it. I have a college degree. That's it. We're closing the door. I work 40 hours a week. I'm done. No more work. Unless it's fun. (laughs) Amen. Yes. Love that for you. Yes. Oh, man. But yeah, I, I get the vibe that that's how the book ended with her ending up with Friedrich. So I'm really glad that the movie said, no, that wouldn't actually happen. She probably had to sell the story as people would want to read it, so she had to change the ending. And there's that scene of the school, which were, you know, it implies like a year or two later at least. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. there. But is he there as a professor or is this a dream or are they actually married? And it's not clear and I really like that. 
I think it lends itself well to this, again, going back to this non-linear narrative. I think it all works out in its own way because, okay, again, I came into this movie not knowing anything. I cannot emphasize how little I knew. I just, I was like, I'm sure there's like a, it's a couple sisters, right? And my friend was like, no, there's four. Here's all their names. Here what, here's what they're good at. I didn't remember any of that. Also, they're all very Renaissance. We have a writer, a painter, a pianist, and an artist. Come, How are they all so talented is my question. <laughs> These parents, like the gene pool here. Wow. But um, that first scene, Joe's speaking to the editor. And he says if she writes about a woman, the woman has to either get married or die. And I heard that. And then after 20 minutes, we have romantic interests for Meg and Joe and Amy introduced and none for Beth. And I was like, oh, no, Beth is going to die. And she did. And I loved how Greta Gerwig did it, though. I guess we kind of glossed over Beth's death. But we have those very lovely parallels where it's Beth healing Joe coming down the stairs and seeing her okay. And then we have Christmas. And then we have Beth or Joe coming downstairs mm-hmm. to find out Beth died. I cried. And I don't cry very often. But I cried both times watching this movie over the last year. So can you speak to that at all? Tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah, we're on the same page pretty much with that. Oof. But brilliantly structured. So much more meaningful the way it's set up. So you know how later when Joe is writing her novel... She's sitting out in the attic and she has the the papers physically laid on the paper, which first of all, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, this is a huge fire hazard. There are candles everywhere in this wooden house on top of all these papers. I would have tripped over one of those candles and burned everything to the ground. But other than that, that's how I'm picturing Greta Gerwig approaching the story. I'm picturing her taking a copy of Little Women, cutting the binding... (laughs) And then rearranging it on the floor, just like Joe does with her own novel, to come up with something that tells the story justice. So I think it worked really well. And, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but as we've been talking about this, I'm thinking, like, that's how memory works. We don't remember things chronologically, right? We remember moments and feelings and overall arcs, but we don't think of our lives chronologically, so... I'm talking myself into liking this movie even more. Yeah, you're convincing me that I like it. it even more than I already did. So you're doing a good job. I feel the exact same way. Like, maybe I'm not articulating it 100% perfectly, but something that I appreciate about this movie. This isn't school. Yeah. Something that I appreciate about this movie is that um, sometimes it's a blessing not to know what's right around the corner. And it's very interesting jumping back and forth in time in this movie seeing that unfold for other characters if that makes any sense especially with Beth's death the first scene that we get where she's fine and then the next scene however many years later she's dead and like thank god that nobody knew in that one moment that the following moment would come even though we see it happening one right after the other there's that very cheesy and very good Doctor Who episode. I don't know. I don't remember if you watched Doctor Who ever, but it's the one with Vincent Van Gogh. And he's talking about how yes. like, the bads don't make the goods. Okay, I got to look up this quote or I'm going to butcher it. But no, you're good. While you were looking that up, that is one of the first things that we bonded over. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And you know what's funny? Behind you right now is Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. 
And this yes. is the, okay, I have the quote here. Here's the reference. The way I see it, every life is a pile of good things and bad things. The good things don't always soften the bad things, but vice versa. The bad things don't always spoil the good things and make them unimportant. What a beautiful summary of this movie. I will say, though, that Goodreads attributes that quote to Doctor Who when it should be the Doctor. But we'll move right along past that because (laughs) that's not the point of this. But is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm also remembering that right after Beth's death scene in the funeral, it's the shot of her, of Beth, putting out flowers for Meg's wedding and how much that makes it hurt, but it makes it also beautiful. It's reiterating that, I think, over and over. You're so right. I never made that connection before, but that's absolutely it. And now, something we have to talk about is Emma Watson. Here's the thing. I think she's great. She seems really nice. Loved her in Harry Potter. Who didn't? Um, But here are my thoughts on Emma Watson's acting. I don't think she's ever acting. She's just being herself, and the roles she has happen to fit that perfectly. All she's changing in this movie is her clothes and her accent, mostly. (laughs) It's just her living her life if she had three sisters, you know? I don't, I can't figure out, I can't put my finger on it exactly. There's just something about her. I don't, I don't get it. Yes, this is something we've bonded over recently, talking off mic about Emma Watson. Yeah, I, I really appreciate her as a person from what I've gathered and uh, I thought... Emma Watson, if you ever hear this, you know, we love yes. you. Yes, and I think she was a great child actress, but I would say from, like, Goblet of Fire onwards, there's just a lot of eyebrow acting, and there's nothing else. She does have great eyebrows. Yeah, like, very intense eyebrows <laughs> that just move up and down a lot, but... uh, She totally did, didn't she? They were like, ooh, up and down all the time for her emotions, yeah. Yeah, I... I agree, though. And I think she's passable in movies, but I've never been wowed by a performance of her. Like, I think she's passable in this because Greta Gerwig's a good director. I think she's passable in Perks of Being a Wallflower because I just really like that story and I like the movie and I think that everyone else in the cast is so good that maybe it lifts her up a little bit, but... I think she benefits from these great casts. And also roles that specifically align with who she is as a person. So she doesn't have to put in a bunch of extra work. Is that horrible? I don't know. Again, I think she was a great Meg. But I just think Meg was awfully close to who Emma Watson is as a person. Which is a compliment to them both. And therefore, <laughs> it worked out in this case. But there's, there's a movie she's in. It's called Colonia. Have you seen this have I told you about this you did tell me about it I haven't seen it that is I mean I liked it but again not because of Emma Watson but that's the movie I think of besides Harry Potter when I think of Emma Watson but but regardless oh something else when I was doing my research and I keep saying research but again I'm talking like eight and a half minute little google to make sure I got the names right people don't like Amy in general what? I thought she was great in this movie. <laughs> you don't like Amy? I, I think they don't like Amy because she and Joe butt heads a lot and this is Joe's story. I, that has to be why. 
I'm sure that's why, because of the book. But in this movie, I feel like Amy got a lot more agency. Well, I guess I don't know, but she felt like she had agency and she, because it's centered on them as adult women and not children, it's like it shows that intelligent side of her before the annoying little sister side of her. That's where I'm thinking it has to come from. Because I thought Amy was great. Yeah, I did too. And the only other thing I can think of is maybe if people shipped Joe and Lori hardcore and so they were upset about Amy ending up with Lori, which is its own thing. I don't understand why people get upset about that. Even Joe herself doesn't get too upset about it after the fact, but... uh a moment but she moves on very proud of her for that yeah when I did watch it for the first time I was a little I was not shocked that Amy was super into Lori because that's clear there's that great moment where she makes a cast of her foot for him to keep which is so like little sister having a crush on your older sister's best friend and like doing weird stuff to try to get their attention but I did not really see Lori falling in love with Amy so quickly it felt like we, the one, it's not even a criticism. The one thing about this narrative is that it's unclear how much time total has passed to me. Are we talking, like, I don't know how long Amy was in Europe. I don't really have any concept of that. Are we talking a year? I guess it has to be longer than a couple of months because it's not like they could just take a plane over there. But it seems like it was very quick. Joe rejected Lori's proposal. Lori and Amy went to Europe separately. They met up. They got married. <laughs> I would feel like I was second best as well. I don't blame Amy for feeling like that. But I also really appreciate her because she's the only one who's really looking at marriage as an economic transaction, which unfortunately was slash often is the reality. So I did, you know, there's some things you can't always romanticize. And that's true. Like she needed to marry someone rich and it worked out for her it did which makes me really happy there's that great moment when joe was racing after about to race after frederick and amy is running up the stairs and she says Lori, stop standing around and go set up the carriage please so i love that because it shows that you know she's not a subservient wife she's still herself i'm just talking a lot now please stop me you're good no i i agree with you on all fronts with that it did almost kind of feel a little bit more convenient in terms of, like, totally buy that Amy would be into Lori, but Lori being into Amy just seems a little bit too convenient, and I do wish that they would have maybe even shown us, like, two or three more scenes before the two of them get together. I think it would have been a little more believable, but I liked that they ended up together. I just wish that we had a little bit more of that build up before it occurs. The only other thing I can think of that maybe people don't like Amy for, which I don't know if this is in the book or if it was just in the movie, but her burning Joe's pages, which again, this movie just kind of shows uh, the duality of man. <laughs> of sister. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that means, exactly. Oh, such a heart-wrenching scene. First of all, I cannot, cannot fathom writing a book by hand and I know this was when she was much younger and it wasn't a full book, but still burning it. And also, bless Laura Dern and Marmee, but I feel like her asking Joe to forgive 
I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up their real names in their <laughs> character's name. Marmy asking Joe to forgive Amy basically immediately after getting her book burned was, I think, not great for anyone involved. <laughs> Give her time to cool off. That was a horrible thing Amy did. I do think I picked up on the fact that that was in the book. I think that's reason number two why people tend not to like Amy. So I love that Greta Gerwig did something different with her. I love it. Yeah, because I, I did still really like her, even though she has the capacity for moments like that. I did still really like her character. I liked a lot of quotes in this movie. Like, there were a lot of quotes that I wrote down because I'm like, yes, I like this a lot. And um, Share some? Do you have them with you? I do. I wrote them down. One that is actually spoken by Marmy that I could relate to a lot is when she says to Joe, she's angry nearly every day of her life. So good. So could vulnerable. relate. Ugh. I loved that. She was so vulnerable with her daughter because that's what Joe needed to hear. And it also shows how much she practices patience every day. Like, it's a, it's an act. It's a verb. It's not a feeling. Oh, man. She seems like such a good mom. It's a great quote. She is. And a few other quotes that I just wanted to mention. Uh, one is said by Meg to Joe when Meg is getting married and Joe doesn't want her to get married. Just because my dreams are different than yours, it doesn't mean they're unimportant. Which is something that I have to tell myself a lot when I see other people get married. Yes. Like, because that's not necessarily the path that I would choose for myself, or at least unless I felt like it was the right thing, which I could also relate to Joe in that way. And I could relate hardcore and Lori said, you'll probably still find someone and you'll be crazy about them because that's your way. I didn't write down that quote, obviously, because I'm not quoting it verbatim but uh that's interesting though we talked about that a little bit I think it was during the episode we recorded about ready or not because of that wedding dress and we were talking about how I've never got Mm -hmm. people's obsession with getting married and weddings but that's you're right that's a great quote about it you know their dreams are different than mine and that's okay yeah it's something that I do have to tell myself and that you know they're not uh resigning to some old societal standard just by getting married you know maybe there's more to it than that but I can't help but kind of feel that way and I have to remind myself no tell myself that quote just one other quote that Joe says which kind of goes hand in hand is when she has that speech about being sick of people saying love is all woman is fit for and I see that line quoted a lot But not many people also add the, but I'm so lonely. And that totally changes it. And it, it's very resonant. Like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to lessen myself for someone else or, you know, lose my personality by being in a relationship. But because of that, you kind of have to be by yourself and it gets really lonely. (laughs) I'm glad she talked about loneliness. And it's interesting that she did because they're such family people. They're always with one another. They're always in groups. They're with their neighbors, with their loved ones. And yet Mm -hmm. she feels lonely. And that's a real thing. People feel that. It's very normal and easy and hard because she's right. You know, it's very easy to feel alone and lonely. 
even when you're in a group of people, even with your loving family. Yeah, I, I can relate to Joe. I think we all can a little bit. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to touch on? I'm wondering if you had like a little favorite scene in this movie. Because my little favorite scene is the printing process scene. When Joe's book is getting made, it's such an endangered art form. And I have, I, I love the idea of printing. I've been to like printing presses and watched documentaries and visited museums about the printing. And I just, it's such a lovely scene. The delicate art that is put into making a book and how different and cold it can be now. I don't know. I just, I just loved that scene. So I was wondering, are there any, was there any little tiny moment that stuck out to you? I think... The scene where Joe and Lori are dancing outside when they're first kind of becoming buddies. I really liked that scene. And I also really liked the scene where Joe is structuring her pages of her book in the attic. And then there's that whole scene that she has with Marmee where she gives that big, I'm sick of people saying love is all woman is fit for. So probably that one as well. There's that little funny moment where she's writing and she's on the couch and she falls asleep and she does the head nod she wakes up and suddenly she's like Mm -hmm. oh where am I where am I in the story what am I supposed to write next (laughs) she seems great oh I did also like the scene where they give their food to the family that needs it way more than them that was very sweet and I always like seeing babies and stuff. I was glad to see a baby for a minute. There aren't many babies in this movie, so that was a nice little moment. And when they come back and there's food on their table, oh, mm-hmm. you just fall in love with it. It's just, it's so idyllic. I can see why people love this story and generations love this story. There's so much to love. But I do think, you know, whatever you watched or read first is what you stick with. And that's true with a lot of things. So I think that's why a lot of people maybe didn't like this and why we really liked this. We might not be as amused by (laughs) older adaptations. You know, if anyone listening to this wants to tweet at us and tell us their thoughts on this movie, I'd love to hear it. Especially if you have experience with this story besides this adaptation. Tell us what you think. (laughs) Yes. Now I must ask you, have you watched any good movies or TV shows lately? You know it. So the first I want to recommend is not something I've watched recently, but I thought of this movie while watching Little Women because it's about sisterhood. So it's a movie called Mustang, and it's a Turkish film. It's a Turkish-French film, technically. I don't speak either of those languages, but I'm pretty sure it was in Turkish. It was set in Turkey. And it's about these five sisters. If I remember correctly, it's been a couple of years. They're orphans, so they live with their uncle and aunt. And they're very young, and yet they have to start getting married pretty quickly. And it's not this joyous moment like in Little Women, right? It's this... One sister marries someone for love and the rest don't. And I don't know, it's just, it's a very sad movie, but it's also really good. So sometimes I'm in the mood for a foreign movie and I'll find it somewhere and watch it. I've watched it like three times and I I really do like it. So Mustang is a must watch. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay, so other than that, um, I was in the mood to go through the x-men movies in the last several months so i like was slowly dvring them when they'd come up over the last like eight months 
and I finally got them all. <laughs> so I have them all on DVR. So I've watched the first three over the last couple of weeks. I forgot how fun they are. I forgot how good X-Men 2 is specifically. I was never as into X-Men as I am into like, Marvel, I guess, other Marvel movies. But still, you know, you want to see the kids and the different powers and people controlling the weather. Like, that's super fun. And I had a lot of fun watching that. And then last night, I told you I watched a good, bad movie last night. And here it is. Da -da 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 -da. National Treasure, starring Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in years, but it was on TV. Oh my god. It's so funny. It's so funny. Have you, I'm assuming you've watched this movie before. Of course. Who hasn't? <laughs> Growing up, like, I'm sure we all watched it in school at some point. Oh, yeah. Because you learn more about American history in that movie than you do in most American history classes. But yeah, I just... I also was, I was watching it and I was thinking about, you know, how secure everything is there and comparing that to, uh, I don't know, January 6th and how different <laughs> that looked. You know, before I thought, you know, you can't really steal the Declaration of Independence. And now I'm like, you could probably just walk in, <laughs> take it, and no one would stop you if you're white. So, little political commentary there. And then finally, oh man, we have to talk a little bit at least about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I saw the first two episodes. Crazy good production value. Such fun stories. Sebastian Stan does sad eyes like nobody's business. And Anthony Mackie, you know, I've only seen him in two things. I've only seen him in Marvel and in that Black Mirror episode. And in most of Marvel, he's just been a copy of Steve Rogers and I don't think he was allowed to do his character justice. And in Black Mirror, I think that episode was terrible. So he's really shining in this show, though. And so I'm really excited to get to know these characters a little better. Have you caught up? I have only seen the first two. I'm not caught up. So have you been watching? Yeah, I've only seen the first two episodes. I know the third one aired as of today, the day that we're recording the podcast. I'm probably going to watch it right after we sign off. So, uh, you too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think I would like it as much as I do. Same here. Like, I thought for sure that I would like WandaVision more than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And maybe it's because I have different expectations now after seeing WandaVision first instead of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the way that they were originally going to be released before everything got delayed and yada yada. But I really enjoy this so far. I think, like you mentioned, the production value is incredible. For me, I like to watch a TV show that doesn't look like a TV show. I'm all about cinematic TV shows, even though they are TV. Like, if if I can walk in the room and if I would just see, like, a still from that show and not know it was a TV show, they're doing a good job. It looks like a movie. It's playing out like a movie in terms of the structure, which I really enjoy. I like when stuff isn't super serialized and, you know, this of the week, that of the week. Like, I'm glad that it's just one long story that they're telling. And, yeah, like you said, um, Anthony Mackie is really shining in this. I'm glad that we get to see more of his character. I think that they're touching on stuff that's a little bit edgier than... The movies typically do like they're touching on racism a little bit more and a lot of 
interesting topics. There's that heart-stopping cop scene. Yes. Oh, and I mean, I won't get into my thoughts on the police here, but it was filmed so well. The tension just rackets up. And then I also, I have, I have so many thoughts and theories about this show that I will not subject your listeners to, but I have mixed feelings about this therapist. I think she's like the worst freaking therapist in the world. I do not like her. She's not professional. I'm pretty sure she's working for someone who isn't, doesn't have my sweet Bucky Barnes best interests in mind. But I had it. Okay. I had a really weird theory that I have to run by you. So I cannot get over how angry Steve leaving makes me feel. And I still feel like him going back in time and going staying with Peggy and Endgame was very out of character. And I know there are a lot of things to take into account other than the story. Like paying Chris Evans to act has been too expensive and therefore, you know, his contract's up. Like there's all these Marvel things. But part of me is wondering like, what if, okay, stick with me here. What if Steve Rogers got stuck in the quantum realm or in the wrong alternate universe and it's been fuck, what are they called? The green people, the imposters. Scroll. It's been a scroll. Yes. This whole Mm -hmm. old man Steve was a scroll. And therefore, the real Steve Rogers is here waiting for Marvel to hire Chris Evans again. And it's not really the end of his... I don't know. Part of me is like, it makes so little sense for him to leave them. What if he didn't? That's my new theory. I'm not saying it's solid or real or going to happen, but I'm... Something's not right. (laughs) Something's not right. Or maybe he's just the himbo we all know he is and he didn't think through any action at all whatsoever. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. We will see. But yeah, once scrolls got introduced, anyone could be a scroll. Anything could be a scroll. Yeah, isn't Nick Fury, like, hasn't he been a scroll for the whole series, essentially? Like, not the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. I mean, like, all of Marvel? <laughs> isn't that the implication? It's been him... He's been a scroll for literally years? Maybe. Like, he Maybe. was for sure in Spider-Man Far From Home because there was that post credit scene. But I, I kind of got to the point where I've stopped, like, theorizing about stuff. I've stopped, like, watching all of those breakdown videos and Easter eggs and everything. Just because at this point, I just want to be surprised. I want to not know anything and go in there and be surprised because, like, if you... Watch those movies, even if they don't get things 100% right, they get stuff a little bit right, and I don't want to have any idea of what's coming next. That's interesting, because I've never watched any of those, and I'm wondering if there are other people like me. Do other people think that Steve Rogers could be a scroll? That's so funny. Maybe my people are out there, and I just haven't found them. They could be. I mean, there's a good uh, YouTube channel called New Rockstars, and they do really good detailed breakdowns of... Not even just Marvel stuff, a lot of pop culture stuff. So I I would recommend giving them a try. I used to watch way more of their videos than I do now, but no disrespect to them. Just I've just uh, kind of stepped back from that and want to be a little bit more surprised. But I enjoy the theorizing. Like I was theorizing myself about WandaVision, but I wasn't like actually looking stuff up just because I didn't want to possibly know what would happen next. Overall, though... Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Really, lo- I'm really, really loving it so far. Very excited. I haven't even looked up like how many episodes there will be. I really am not prepared. So I'm just going to keep 
going into Disney Plus every other Friday and watching two at a time, I think, so I can handle the weight a little better, <laughs> maybe. That's, that's my plan. That's a good idea. And if I can find it, I'm going to watch National Treasure 2. I don't know if I've ever seen it, but there's a second National Treasure. And also I'm wondering, like, how is, is there so much treasure? You know, like, there's two National Treasures? Where's all this gold? You know, but anyway. So what have you been watching recently? I'm glad you reminded me of National Treasure 2 because I've never seen it and I really need to see it. I'm sure it's just as bad but good as the first one. Oh, I bet it's way worse but good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I hope so. We can only hope. Well, speaking of uh, bad but good movies, I did watch Godzilla vs. Kong a few nights ago, which by the time this episode is released, I'll have released my thoughts on Godzilla vs. Kong, so I feel like I can openly talk about it right now, because I'm not spoiling the next week's episode. We're kind of doing a little non-linear narrative ourselves here, but <laughs> oh my god. This movie was so bad, but so fun to watch. I It was like an experience that I felt, I felt a high from watching this movie in a way that I have not felt about even the best of movies in such a long time. I cannot remember the last time before this movie that I watched such a good, bad movie. Oh, it made me so happy. It was such a good time watching it. So are you on Team King Kong or Team Godzilla? Also, is that a thing? I don't I don't know. I haven't seen it. There are teams, but I'm going to go with a photo that in my movie Discord, they posted a few hours before we watched the thing together that was like a woman at some kind of a sports game wearing a shirt that said, I just want both teams to have a good time. <laughs> that was my vibe going into it. Okay, well then let me ask this. And spoiler territory, if you haven't seen Godzilla versus Kong, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Do they end up dating at the end of the movie? <laughs> Are they best friends? Do they hold hands? Oh, I wish. I wish to all of those things. They don't. They reach a mutual understanding, but they go their separate ways. Sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, but <laughs> can you ask for more from two? Are they monsters? What do you? What's the term you use? <laughs> Creatures? Beings? Godlike entities at this point. They're just, oh man, what a movie. You know this makes me think of, like, all those bad movies on the sci-fi channel I would watch on Saturdays growing up, where it's, like, the Scorpion King versus the giant Komodo dragon. Fight to the death! Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the vibe I'm getting, and if that's correct, I'm interested. For sure. Yes, like, this is how bad but entertaining it was, which I will say it was fun to, like, watch with a group of people online, but one of the friends in the group chat kept predicting what was going to happen but now that he actually knew what was going to happen like he would just throw out the most ridiculous stuff that would happen and it would happen like are you okay with any spoilers for Godzilla versus Kong yes okay so at one point okay hollow earth is a concept in this movie I can't even get into what hollow earth means but (laughs) Kong is in I guess (laughs) Does it mean that the Earth is hollow and it's where they're hiding or something? Truth be told, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like <laughs> another Earth. It's Earth when inside of Earth. Uh, sure. This movie oh, makes you okay, do a okay. lot of work 
to even understand half of the mechanics of it. But Kong is like walking through this kind of Lord of the Rings-esque looking area. And friend of the pod, Zach, said, I want him to have a sword. And we're like, does Kong have a sword? He's like, no, I just want him to have a sword. And then he looks down at the ground and picks up an axe. Oh my god, I love that! Like, why does King Kong need an axe? No reason, but this movie gave it to us. (laughs) And how, okay, isn't King Kong, like, bigger than your average gorilla? Which means that this is a super extra long axe that just happens to be laying around in King Kong's path. Yes, and even better, the axe... It's implied that it's made out of, like, one of Godzilla's scales on its spine. That's way better. That's way better. That's amazing. Okay, now I'm going to watch this. <laughs> you will have a time. But yeah, I... Oh, so good. So bad, but so good. But besides that, I recently rewatched. This is not technically a movie. It's not technically a TV show. It's described as an emotion picture. And that is Dirty Computer, which is the visual album for Janelle Monet. Yeah. And you can watch it on YouTube. You just have to be over 18 to watch it since there's a lot of nudity in it and stuff. But it's so good. It don't want to spoil too much, but I, I love the way that it's shot. And of course, her music is good. And it's just a fun watch. That album is fantastic, the whole thing. Yes, it's so good. That is the last CD I bought. Probably will oh buy for who knows how long, but huge fan. And the last thing that I have to recommend is a TV show that just aired recently on Amazon Prime, and it's called Invincible. And this is an adaptation of a graphic novel, or a comic book series, maybe not a graphic novel. It's animated, and I will say that going into it, you think it's going to be just another superhero origin story. All I will say is that it really uh, takes you for a turn by the end of the first episode. I love when there's a twist at the end of the first episode, like a really good one. Not just a little bitty cliffhanger to get you to episode two. Like, I want to be knocked off my boots at the end of episode one. So that sounds great. (laughs) Oh, man. I will say it is quite possibly one of the goriest uh, ending scenes I have seen in quite some time. So be prepared for a lot of violence and gore, but uh, very subversive from what you would expect from a superhero story. And the following two episodes that have aired, which it airs on Fridays as well. So uh, I'm going to try to watch that and Falcon and the Winter Soldier tonight. But it's been really good. And as much as it does sometimes follow stereotypical structures, every time it does something like that, then it does something completely subversive as well. So I kind of enjoy the the going back and forth, like playing on what an audience expects versus what they don't expect. And I will say that if you do watch it, the first episode, you think it's over. But if you hang around for a few seconds, the post credit scene is what you need to watch for uh, your mind to be blown at what happens. I love that. I love a good post credit scene. More shows need to take advantage of that. 
I hope I'm not the only one who sat through the entire end credits of each Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode, just in case there was an end scene and there was not. So I deserve one. You do. This one's got you covered. It's good stuff. I would highly recommend it. It's been very good. That's all I have. So at this time, I will remember to ask you if you have any plugs, because I can't believe we forgot last time. So do you have anything you would like to plug at this time? That's okay. I'll I'll plug the same thing I always do, which is if you want to talk about movies or books on Twitter, you can follow me at Lydia May Welker. I would love to talk to someone who's read Little Women. Come tell us what you think, because neither of us know. (laughs) You can follow the podcast at yourfnfilmcast on Twitter, or email us at friendlyneighborhoodfilmcast at gmail.com. This has been another episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Filmcast.